I bid you welcome. I want to play a game. Stay on the road. Keep clear of the moors. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. Let them see what kind of a person I am. Why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. Hey folks, my name is Will. My name is Yaz. And welcome to the Monster Monday podcast. This is the weekly podcast where, well, bi-weekly podcast, where <laughs> myself and Yaz talk about a horror film. And Yaz, why do we talk about horror films? Because the monsters in film aren't as scary as the monsters in real life. And this one is something I know that has got quite a reputation to it, but it's not a film that I had seen or heard anything about before the watching of... You know, the watching for this podcast. So I want to know, Yaz, what convinced you to put Audition, the Japanese uh, <laughs> language horror film directed by Takashi Miike, on this list, on on our wheel? Um, well, I had already seen it and thought it was a great film and was like, this will be a good one to talk about. I need Will to watch it. So yeah. I want to watch him squirm. <laughs> so, 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 th- so this is your equivalent of Don't Breathe. When I put a film on a list because I wanted you to have a really great reaction and you didn't. So (laughs) that's... I'm sorry, but I just didn't find it that shocking. That is always going to haunt me a little bit. (laughs) Till till the retirement of this podcast, till my final breath. That's what's going to be on my mind. But anyway, so yeah, Audition. We've got this film that came out in the late 1990s and you had the production company Omega Project who had just the year before in 1998 had this massive financial success with The Ring or Ringu when it got released internationally. You know the film you know if you watch the videotape and the, the creepy girl coming out the TV etc. How can you forget? Yeah exactly you, <laughs> you, if, you either know what you're on about or you don't because you never forget those images. So they wanted another a hit akin to that, kind of like the horror niche market. So what they did was that they bought the rights to uh, Ryu Murakami's 1997 satirical novel Audition, and they decided to put a different creative team behind it who weren't very well versed in horror. They got director Takashi Miike, who with this film collaborated with many people who he had previously worked with, including cinematographer Hideo Yamamoto, People who weren't known for horror, people who hadn't sort of dabbled in this genre before. And you also had screenwriter uh, Daisuke Tengen as well adapting the novel. This was filmed over a period of three weeks in Tokyo, which is traditionally quite a bit more than Takashi Miike normally does. And Takashi Miike, he'd been doing feature films for a couple of years before the release of Audition, but the guy is like a movie-making machine. He doesn't go in to write scripts or to create something from scratch. He's essentially, and I mean this in a good term, he's a director for hire. He will do the job, he'll do exactly what the producers and the creative team want him to do, and he'll do like three or four films every single year like just last year he celebrated his 100th film wow and he's been making films since 1995 that's cool so yeah he makes three or four films a year so when audition comes along the dream yes he's constantly working he's a belief he's a bloody filmmaking machine so when audition comes along it's like oh this is just another film on the pile we maybe film it for a bit longer than we traditionally would one of these films but then it becomes a film that, at least internationally, outside of Japan, sets the precedent for... Well, sets expectations, basically, for the rest of his career. Expectations he's found it very, very difficult to escape from. 
I mean, how do you level up from this? <laughs> mm, yeah, because what's in what we'll have to do with this episode because so there's people like me who don't know anything about it so i think we will do a non-spoiler section or at least like the first two-thirds of the film and then in the spoiler section for the last third of the film is when we'll delve into the stuff that audition is primarily known for but i without giving anything away yaz what mm. were what was your takeaway the first time watching the film this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's probably the wrong reaction. But I was like, this is cool. This is going to make Will squirm. <laughs> Do you think... I can't wait to see his reaction. Because you said something before we were recording as well. I think we'll just dive straight into like the plot. But you thought this is something like a horror film specifically for men. And I well, think... yeah. I said, I said, because... I didn't find it scary. I don't find it scary. Mm. Um, and we were watching a review by Mark Kermode and he, he said he was like hiding behind a cushion and stuff. I mean, that's probably dramatic effect, mm. but like was like really like shocked and disturbed by it. Yeah. But my theory, and you, you had a quite a visceral reaction to it as well, mm. but we had different visceral reactions to different parts of the film so mine wasn't on actually what was happening. Mine was something a little bit earlier on. Yeah. That made me feel quite sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, the, yeah, so I said, I wonder if it's sort of like scary to men and not to women because it's the, the age-old, you know, vagina dentata coming to life. I mean, admittedly, it's not. A vagina with teeth in this one but it's the monstrous feminine hmm. i mean you know and yeah i didn't find a scare in fact i was kind of like mm, so she right kind of <laughs> yeah like i mean it's a bit extreme what she does but like hmm. it's kind of gross holding auditions to find a wife yeah so. <laughs> yeah because you mentioned the mark kermode story because he saw the film i think at its at its british debut you know, english debut in the uh, Edinburgh Film Festival in 2000 or 2001 and he didn't know anything about it other than it's called Audition and it's a Japanese film and I think if you go into it with that sort of mindset kind of similar to me because mm. I, I had no idea what was going to happen in this film then you're like you you're not quite braced for it yeah but I didn't know what was going to happen properly either I knew this film set a precedent but I didn't know why I didn't know what happened in it mm. but I still just didn't find like oh I wasn't cheering her on, but I was kind of like... So, you you thought it was like a karma, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit of extreme karma, but I mean, like... She's got her reasons, mm. and, you know, like, I mean... Like, he, he didn't really deserve what happened to him, but, like... Don't hold an audition yeah. under D the guise of finding a new wife, but... They don't know that. It's <laughs> fucking creepy, man. Yeah. So, um, so, I mean, that's the risk you've got to take if you're going to play the game. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay, what we'll do, we'll break down just the, the premise and the setup of Audition for those of you who don't quite know. Uh, there'll be timestamps in the description for those who haven't seen the film or might want to, 
our thoughts on it without all of the brutality and the gruesomeness that comes from the third act. So uh, keep an eye on those timestamps in the description. But without any further ado, let's talk about Takashi Miike's audition. So the film primarily follows Shigeharu Aoyama, played by Ryo Ishibashi, and he, like, the first scene of the film is him lying by, sitting by his wife's bedside in a hospital as she passes away from some unknown disease, some unknown fate. She passes away, that's the very beginning of the film. We get to see his young son, who must be, like, maybe eight or nine years old, running down the corridor with a little makeshift diorama, like, get well soon, who walks in just as she takes her last breath. It's a bit of a an unorthodox way to open, but it, yeah, it hit me. Hit me in the feels. Yeah, that little boy, when you see him, you're like, oh. <laughs> you thought he was really cute. He was cute. Exactly. Cute kids don't deserve to be sad. No, 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 they don't. no kid deserves to be sad. Especially cute kids. <laughs> Um, so we then pick up several years later. The young boy has grown up to be um, grown up to become a teenager. He is uh, Shigehiko, played by Tetsu Sawaki, and we've got um, Ayama, the the father. He has become a little bit uh, downtrodden, a little bit melancholy in his old age, and his son thinks, you know what, you should try and remarry. You should get yourself back on the dating scene. And you know, that's kind of understandable. I think when so much of Japanese culture is made up of the family unit and mother, like mother, father, um, heterosexual relationships and things like that, it kind of makes sense for that conversation to happen. Yeah, I mean, nobody wants their parents to be lonely. Like, yeah, I, I would like my dad to get married. He probably won't, but you know. Yeah, well, take inspiration from this film. Yeah, hold an audition, Have I got the plan for you? So the person that Yaz's dad needs to hire is Yasuhisa uh, Yoshikawa, and he's played by uh, Jun Kimonori, and he's a film producer who has got this this old pitch, something that was like it, like hidden in a basement, just in a folder somewhere, a film that they were going to make years ago but didn't, and decided, you know what, we're going to dredge up this old script and pretend that we're going to be holding all of these auditions for the female lead we'll invite dozens of women and do a casting call we'll interview them and then we'll just say the film's off and because you've now got the personal details and the contact details of these women who you have interviewed you can then pursue them and that can be your new potential partner creepy as Fuck. now i'm just amazed surely it's illegal doing sh- something like that i'm convinced it is but for this guy y- yoshikawa I don't think that this is the first man he's tried to do this to. This isn't an idea you just come (laughs) to. come come up with. Yeah, exactly. This is something you've got systems in place or you have thought about this idea for a long time and you finally have someone there. But you've got Yashikawa and Ayama at a a cocktail bar one night and there's a bunch of women who are laughing at a table nearby and and he's like, yeah, those women are the reason that Japan is dying and he clearly has um, a lot of resentment for... Yeah, boomer energy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but boomers aren't just exclusive um, to to the Western world. 
Um, so what we've got is this very elaborate plan to have a, a, essentially a casting couch, more or less. And Yoshikawa and Ayama contact dozens of women and read their resumes, take a look at their headshots and things like that. And the film kind of does, much like Mark Kermode in that Edinburgh screening nearly 20 years ago, does lure you into that sort of false sense of security where if you knew nothing about this, you'd think that this is maybe some sort of morally ambiguous like rom-com. Like, oh, what a quirky way to meet your wife. Like, you could imagine, like... Bradley Cooper playing the um, Ayama role or something as the sort of like terrible person who needs to be shown that he's actually needs to be a good guy to find his wife. You're pulling a very strange face here. No one in the right mind would see this as a rom-com. Well, no, but I, I think it's a case of this guy is clearly doing a wrong thing, but this is the premise of the film for the first like hour of it. Yeah, but surely you wouldn't see it as a rom-com. No, you wouldn't. Like, it would be like a, like a, a black comedy. Like, something that you obviously don't condone, but it's like, are they going to get away with this? Are they going to learn their lesson, more or less? I just don't think it's funny. No? No. Not even the, the lengthy lineup of women who decide to... Uh, who decide to, to monologue, to decide to come in and show off their talents, their... Um, what do you call it? Uh, that She's got the small but the baton dancing, stuff like that. One of them just strips off during the audition. You've got one woman who has her audition and then comes back later and they say wait haven't we seen you and she's like yeah but i had more to say <laughs> i like that bit that bit made me laugh <laughs> like, you gotta you gotta respect the the enthusiasm yeah いや、まあ、ちょっと待って。えっと、2歳の時から、えっと、母がすごい、えっと、私をスターにしたくて。で、ちょっと椅子の周りを歩いてて。次行こうか。よろしくお願いします。はい。However, I am a has kind of biased himself before the auditions because he's read the application of Asami Yamazaki played by Ihi Shina. And Shina was a, she didn't really do much acting before this film. She was primarily a model and she would do like some bit parts and some small roles when she was on holiday. But this is kind of like her breakout iconic role. She plays this role perfectly, I think. Mm. Someone who so <laughs> yeah exactly. Winifred. i've not the, the microphone might not have picked that up but winnie definitely agrees uh winnie's winnie uh, respects the girl boss energy i guess she's got this really unique presence about her and ayama is immediately taken by her like letter for the, like for the casting where she says that she used to be a ballet dancer but she injured her hip and having to give up uh, ballet dancing was akin to like a form of death yeah, so we can equate what happened to him with his wife, obviously the love of his life, the, the mother of his child, losing her, and then she's obviously lost something so precious to her as well. Yeah. He sees, like, a connection there. Yeah, oh, and in case you didn't know already by the fact that we mentioned that Ayama's got, like, a teenage son, he must be in, like, his mid-40s, or early to mid-40s at this point, whereas the all of the people who they're auditioning are, like, in their 
early to mid 20s as well yeah so it was a weird age range yeah uh, I, I guess like you could say um there's some feminism towards the end i mean it starts <laughs> off misogynistic and then it kind of becomes a little bit of a revenge well it's it's I didn't actually think that the film, although I'm viewing this, of course, from like a 2021 perspective, that the film was making some sort of ironic point about it because that just kind of is Hollywood casting. Like, if, yeah. you, if you're in your, like, as soon as you hit your 30s. But he's, it's not a role, Will. It's a wife he's looking for. No, no, I, no I'm on about just the sort of, no, I guess. I guess it makes sense. <laughs> no, but no, but it, it's still something that you find in, like, still modern films where you've got someone like Emma Stone being in a relationship on on camera with uh, Colin Firth, someone who's like 40 years older than her, in of course a Woody Allen film, but that's just... Uh, um, yeah, that's Woody Allen that's, though, isn't exactly. it? He should be in jail. Mm. So, Don't sue me. In, well, it's your opinion that he should be in jail. It's my opinion. Exactly. So, yeah, watch the Alan Farrow documentary. Anyway, <laughs> anyway... Uh, we can either confirm or deny anything. So for this film, he's casting dozens of, or he's he's auditioning and seeing several women in their mid-twenties and is especially taken by Asami, who he actually, and this is the creepy bit for me, especially, you know, because, you know, I've, I work in TV and stuff like that. I'm sure that there are many people who could abuse this power if they wanted to, gets in touch with her personal phone number from the audition sheets and everything and says, hey, do you want to meet up? And yeah, I'm pretty sure that's like going against confidentiality. Yeah, there's probably data protection laws yeah. uh, that should be uh, protective of that. But the, the thing is, is that he, if he is producing a film like this, he would have access to that. And I'm sure there are many people in the industry who maybe do abuse that that closeness. There's that... no maybe about it. Well, it does happen. Yeah, clearly. Well, I just can't. I just can't really name names for. No, we don't need to name names, but it happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, clearly. yeah, absolutely. I said to you, they were sat on the couch and I was like, oh, this is so creepy. This has given me casting couch vibes. Yeah, they had the big grey sofa in the white room. Yeah, yeah. So Aoyama decides to invite Asami out for uh, for dinner. They they go out on several dates and rather than have Asami say, oh, you're not contacting me for work or you're taking me out on dates and things like that. She actually seems quite taken by Aoyama and says, oh, uh, you know, I was really hoping for your phone call and, you know, I'm re- really glad that I got to meet you and, you know, you make me feel really happy whenever I see you and spend time with you. And she seems a little bit too willing for all of this. And we also get these occasional cutaways where we see Asami inside of her very small and dingy apartment and she is just sat in a very strange like sitting position a very uncomfortable looking one waiting for the phone to ring yes she's just in front of an old like rotary telephone just for days on end just waiting for it to ring and at one point she just has fallen asleep in that position in that posture while there is a very large i can only describe it as person-sized burlap sack just on the floor by the phone that occasionally rolls around. And it's like, okay, so this film isn't uh, a very quirky off-center romantic comedy about an unorthodox relationship beginning. There's something a little bit more going on here. Yeah, it made you jump a little bit, doesn't it, that? Well, because I didn't expect the bag to move. (laughs) I just thought, oh, there's a body in there. Oh, no, there's a body. 
a moving body in there. <laughs> you should have seen your reaction. It was very funny. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it's the audition experience because watching someone who hasn't seen the film before and watching their reaction to it. <laughs> They go on numerous dates with each other, and I love the way how Ehishina plays the role of Asami. How there's just something a little bit off about her, but she is very, like, she comes across as incredibly passive, but is still able to move conversations to the to what she wants to talk about, and how she does lead Ariyama through certain, like, trains of thought, and is clearly left a very big impact on him because he's just thinking at work all the time like oh maybe i should ring her maybe i should ring her and then decides not to and then decides to like the next day yeah um it's like the the guy at the beginning like there's just he says there's just something off about her and that's right she plays it as a very timid very timid woman who's very like passive like you say but there's just something that you can't quite put your finger on about her Hmm. And the producer friend, uh, Yoshikawa, even though it was his idea to do this whole, like, unorthodox dating scheme, decide, uh, she, he's actually the first one to cut on to the fact that, you know, there's something a little bit off about her and how, um, like, she, during the audition, she mentions, like, a music producer who she works for. And then he does a bit of research and discovers actually this guy's been missing for like a year, a year and a half, and like no one, like no one knows where he's gone. And then at a, uh, a dinner table, Asami opens up and says, "Actually, no, I just said that so that you wouldn't think I was a nobody." So the story still kind of works out, but it kind of makes her uh, a bit of a suspect in this disappearance but she couldn't possibly she's this tiny little woman in her mid-twenties who couldn't hurt a fly i assume well he doesn't put two and two together does he no, he's... he just he just takes her at a word yeah and just kind of forgets everything that's said about this guy missing yeah he's kind of just blinded by the the attributes that he's looking for in a wife apparently because she seems to fit the bill perfectly and there's the great bit in when they're doing all the auditions and it's um, Yoshikawa who's asking all of the questions for all the, all the women who comes into the door. Like, uh, Ayama just seems to be just watching there, taking notes and stuff. And just waiting for this other woman to come in. And he's asking really invasive questions. Like, would you do a sex scene on camera? And things like that. Like, are you okay with nudity? Like, really strange, like, questions that you shouldn't be asking in, in an audition. And then it's when Asami walks in. And for the first time, Aoyama starts asking questions. Well, he doesn't even ask a question. He just says how taken he was by the... Her essay. Her essay. Yeah. And it's really... The guy who plays uh, Yoshikawa uh, really just nails it. Like, he just slowly turns to his friend and is like, you've not... Like, you've seen 30 women today and you've not been like this at all. Um, yeah, it's really funny. Um, but it just shows really, like, cleverly... Like through the characterization and the visuals as well as the camera like slowly like moves across the room towards Ariyama as he just rambles in like slightly incoherently about what he loves about this woman's essay but let's I wanted to quickly just touch on like how this film 
is filmed like because it's late nine late nineties low budget Japanese horror, and it seems like it seems like you we're not watching like a a HD version or anything. It looks like it's because something we found on VHS, something we shouldn't be watching. Like, mm. It's it's got quite grainy. The sound quality is not quite all there. And it makes it feel like we're watching something that is a bit a forbidden. Film. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, something that we shouldn't be watching. Like any moment our parents are going to come downstairs and realise that we've rented something bad from Blockbuster or something. <laughs> that was the vibe I got from it. But there's some really great like camera movements. I loved one transition from night to morning um, when the, um, Aoyama and Asami start getting a bit frisky under the bed covers and how it transitions through the movement in the bed sheets. Kind of like how, you know, when you play in The Sims and The Sims go under the bed sheets and they start wrestling <laughs> a little bit. That was the vibe that, that was the vibe I got from, from that love scene. So, yeah, there's some really great camera movements here and some really great visual storytelling. But what I want to talk about is the wonderful scene uh, because... You say that Aoyama maybe deserved it. Um, he deserves yeah, what's coming. Not necessarily that he deserves that. He doesn't deserve what happens to him. But I mean, he deserves a it's the chance. It's the chance you take <laughs> when you do something fraudulently. Yeah, so he's because he's got his teenage son who gets um, who has got like a teenage friend around us, another student his age. And Ayama decides, okay, this uh, my teenage son has got a girl around. I'm going to, quote, take a walk outside for a bit. Take the dog. Because uh, they've got an adorable little doggy. A little very yeah. cute. Oh, they love it, lovely. Um, I didn't want anything bad ever to happen to. So the uh, he's about to go out for a walk. And while the girl's back is turned, he like but does an okay sign. Uh, like a thumbs up sign to, to his son and the son smiles and it's like yeah lads 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 lads, lads. yeah he's like, <laughs> uh, it's a very supporting father um and i think it's just the fact that his his teenage son wants wants his dad to you know to have some love as well in his life because i don't think there's um i don't think it's like a, a bad father-son relationship or anything they seem quite nice the dad just seems a bit quieter and a bit more lonely now after everything that's happened yeah yeah i'm he's not i'm not saying he's a bad guy because he does have like a hesitancy about it i mean well he did go through with it yeah. but it is a risk you take when you just meet strangers like that like there's a risk with anything i'm not saying he deserves it but like the risk comes with everything like if i hadn't met you in college like mm. even that could have been dangerous yeah yeah so ayama and asami decide to go on a bit of a mini holiday together they go to like a little coastal resort and they're he's suggesting places they can go to oh there's some, there's a nice restaurant there's a nice cafe what do you want to do and asami just silently just walks to the other side of the room takes all of her clothes off and gets into bed and it's like you can only love me promise yourself to me and he's like yeah sure and the <laughs> yeah sure yeah Sure, Jan. We're worth it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yes, he's like, yeah, sure. And uh, she shows him two, like, burn scars on her, like, inner thigh. She says that I want you to know everything about me. When I was young, I burnt myself by accident. And we later find out that that's not entirely true. But the two, uh, they, they do the do. And Ayama wakes up the next morning and discovers, oh, she's checked out of the this hotel and has left me on my own. And it's only then does he think, actually, she might not be all 
or that she lets on. And decides to investigate the the ballet school where she said that she went to. Um, well, he wakes up kind of groggy, doesn't he? Oh, well, I think that's just when you're in your forties. That's just what happens after. A, that's just <laughs> oh, what happens that, after a night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you get you get um, you get rockets and you get. Um, you know, your bones are a little bit creaky and you just can't perform quite as well as you used to. Well, you'll find out before me. Uh, we'll find out at the same time. I'll have you know. Um, so, I'll, I mean, I'll find out the next morning. <laughs> so, um, so he decides to investigate some places. He goes to the old ballet school where Asami said that she that she went to and where she studied and finds this old man in a wheelchair. And that's his actual character name, played by Renji Ishibashi. Who is um, who has got no feet? He walks on like prosthetic, uh, prosthetic feet. Uh, he plays a, a piano very creepily in this old abandoned room and seems to know Asami and seems to be incredibly very strange and creepy. And Ayama also goes to this uh, restaurant that had to be closed down because was it? what's the place he goes to and he, it's a bar it's a bar yeah and there's the there's the guy who's just walking um nearby and says yeah the place closed down like over a year ago and there was uh they found a body there but the body had uh they found an extra ear they found three fingers and a tongue so i i think i know what's in the sack in her apartment so <laughs> Spoiler. Spoilers. Well, that was basically what I said when when that happened. I was we put the pieces together, and we also get these like first person perspective point of view shots of Asami essentially sneaking into Ayama's home and finding out uh, that he had a wife, that he's got a son, because and that's where he keeps his his whis his whiskey or his brandy uh, in one of those fancy big decanter decanters. Yeah, one of those fancy glass bottles. And I think that's kind of where we have to leave the, like, the spoiler, non-spoiler discussion. But let's just say that the third act of the film is particularly gnarly and gruesome and revelations are made and things like that. But I want to know, basically, yeah, because I also want to talk about the film proper, removed from all the violence and gore that comes from the third act. What, is this film a feminist masterpiece or a misogynistic wet dream? And those are the only two choices. <laughs> um, I suppose, really. It's a feminist wet dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go, we'll combine them. Um, you could argue that it is either or. Mm -hmm. But she does get her revenge from all the shit that she's endured. Mm-hmm. But then the film is kind of 
very misogynistic in the beginning and the main character is a man. Yeah. Um I don't know. That's a hard one. Yeah, it's It's I don't think it's either or. Mm. Because if it was trying to just be some sort of revenge film for women, then I don't think they would characterize Aoyama in such a reasonable way. I don't think that I think they would just make him a beginning to end sleaze ball. Maybe he's like abusive to his son and things yeah. like that. But no, he's he's a guy who he's a grieving widower who wanted to get back on the scene in a bit of a morally dubious way, and I, I use that term lightly. But he's not someone. And I don't who... think it's necessarily misogynistic in its approach to like what happens. I mean, obviously the fake audition is. Yeah. um, And the way they talk about women at the beginning. But he doesn't necessarily say anything misogynistic. I mean, he does want them quiet and reserved. (laughs) Yeah. And and Asami's revenge on him at the end isn't, like, specifically gendered. Like, he does... Like, he's not de-bald or anything like that. Well, no. It is specifically gendered because she only targets men. Oh, no, but I mean, like, the punishment against him isn't some sort of, like, dick-chopping like oh, gendered yeah, no, yeah. thing but, or no, like yeah no it's not that but i'm not saying the... just go after only men oh yeah yeah I, i'm not saying the the punishment had to fit the crime and stuff but i think if it was a gendered injury then that that might make more the case for it but it's not it's a film that sort of toes the line uh and... yeah you could argue either or or neither yeah and the thing that takashi Miike is kind of said about the ending of the film is that it's not like basically it's not a dream the stuff that happens to him that's the kind of only confirmation retrospectively that Takashi Miike is given um but he I yeah because he's someone who I'm the the main character he is someone who is yeah the film makes you sympathize for him from the opening scene he loses his wife I don't think that he deserves what happens. I think he deserves something, but I don't think he deserves specifically what happens to him. But that could be, um, that could be a, a gendered bias. Like, oh, I don't want the the guy to get punished by. No, by I the don't young think lady. it's gender bias because, like, no, I don't think he deserves what happens to him. But also, it might be a warning about people are not as they seem, and you know, people go through shit, and it turns them into sometimes monsters, sometimes mm. not. Look at how different they've both handled it. I yeah. mean, admittedly, her trauma, is, I would say, is going to turn you a bit more into a psychopath than his. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, like, I think Audition is a bit of, like, a Rorschach film where you kind of look at it and, like, the pattern is going to look different to different people depending yeah, on definitely. what you... Yeah, I think it's... You kind of get out of it what you bring into it, if that makes sense. If you've got your own... If you're in there thinking this is going to be like a, a feminist revenge film or or something else, then that might be your takeaway from it. Yeah, I mean, I didn't hate her as no. a character. I wasn't exactly cheering her on, but I kind of wasn't also like feeling dead sorry for him either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, it's bad, but I was just kind of like, ooh, yeah, that's kind of nasty, but... I was kind of like, well, that's the risk you take when you do stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. You know? But also, the film, I don't think at any point sort of glorifies any of 
the violence or the methods of Asami at any point. I think we are we are meant to be intimidated and creeped out by her, particularly what she does in the in secret in her own apartment and stuff. Yeah, I just didn't feel that way. No, no. <laughs> That's just me though. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's a film that really toes the line, and I don't think it lands on a, on any sort of side, but it prompts the discussion. And I think it makes you sort of question. It's a you, you take a lot away from the film in regards to what do you what punishment do you think would have been suitable for uh, for Ariyama? Like, do you think Asami's revenge streak is justified because of what's happened to her? Like, I don't think there's any definitive answer, but these questions the film makes you confront these questions, and it does so with a lot of brutality and violence towards the end. And it's like this is like this is what's happening on screen whether you like it or not do you think it should have gotten to this point i mean i'm not gonna lie it was quite nice to see something this bad happening to a man instead of a woman for once mm. like it's usually the young girl getting stabbed because she's had sex or whatever like. yeah like this is the type of film where you couldn't if you did a remake or a homage or whatever you couldn't reverse the genders no not without drastically changing the entire premise of the film yeah or like you the you couldn't even like have a 40 50 year old woman doing a casting audition for a guy in the mid 20s like the whole f structure of the film changes like it's it's a specifically gendered dynamic at least in regards to the society in which the film has been released and and made in so yes before we get into spoilers did you like audition we've got a lot to talk about but did you would you recommend it yeah you, yeah of course you if you're a horror fan you've got to see this film surely yeah just make sure you're not eating anything before yeah, yeah yeah don't eat um don't eat don't host auditions for ladies to be <laughs> yeah. wife. Don't host an audition for someone to watch it with you yeah just... don't don't go to ballet school or all, <laughs> all these all these warnings but yeah i i think i liked it I because I, I like we mentioned Mark Kermode earlier he put it on like his top film of the year it came out 2000 2001 like it was his number one film of the year I don't think I would rank it as highly on like any lists I would intend to make but I, it's still is something I'm grappling with and thinking about after watching it last night like it prompts a lot of questions and interesting discussions and there's some shots and iconography from it, which I don't think I'm ever going to forget. I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to be on my deathbed and thinking, hey, why did Yaz not react to Don't Breathe the way I wanted to? And oh, <laughs> and, oh God, I'm never going to look at Piano Wire the same way again. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, the, that's what's going to be <laughs> happening as I go into the dying of the light. So, but yeah, I, th I think I liked it. I think I appreciate it more than I liked it, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know if I'd ever watch it again. I think... If we think about the time that it came out, it oh. would have been like revolutionary oh, at well, the time. It, it kind of was. Like it's hugely influential. We'll talk about some of it, the genres and the filmmakers that it, it inspired towards the end, uh, when we get to like the wrap up and its release and impact and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's had a massive impact, which is still being felt to this day. I mean, we're still talking about it. Oh, 100 percent. It's still like ranking like incredibly highly on like best horror films lists and like best like sh most shocking film moments and things like it's still it is it is quite a shock it does take quite a turn because you're not quite sure what to expect but you don't expect what happens but i, w I still was just kind of like oh cool yeah I, 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 like takashi miike does an incredible job at sort of like like 
dragging the audience like along this very strange and intricate journey where you, you don't quite know where he's taking you. And then when it finally does land, it's way too late to back out now. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, like the film plays its cards so close to its chest until like the last 20 minutes. And by the time that's happened, you're... You're, you're already there and you're already in it. Fully invested and you need to know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's like you get like films like the Saw films when after the first film, of course, with all of its sequels, the first scene of the film would be here's the trap, here's the gory outcome, here's this horror here's this victim of what's happening to them. Whereas like Audition is comparatively so reserved. Like there's nothing untoward for like about an hour like and even then it's still odd lines of dialogue strange behavior yeah it 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 invests you in its characters so that when all the stuff does happen towards the end you kind of have to see it through because you want to know if ayama gets out of this you want to know what's just how far this crazy lady is gonna (laughs) take is gonna take it um so yeah i'd recommend it yeah yeah Okay, spoilers. So let's go to the spoilers. Let's get into it because I'm dying to talk mm. about it. Okay, so spoilers. This is all the spoilers. So let's let me walk you through what kind of happens. A lot of this takes place with flashbacks and hallucinations and things like that. So we may talk about a lot of this out of order. But uh, Aoyama comes home, drinks from his decanter and finds himself... I've got a very strange sensation, feeling a little bit weird. And my son's gone out as well. He's gone to a friend's house, so I'm not going to be seeing him tonight. And he collapses on the floor. And as... <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that was definitely his train of thought. Oh, 100%. <laughs> so yeah, he, fall, he falls to the floor... And he literally falls into a flashback when he's having, um, he's going on these dates with Asami. And we learn more about what was spoken to on those dates. Like Asami talks about how she was abused growing up by her parents and then like step parents and auntie and uncle and things like this. Basically, it's terrible stuff has happened to her in her past. And we also learn more about what happened to her at ballet school where the old man in the wheelchair uh, abused her as a kid. I sexually abused her as a kid and also was the cause of those burn marks on her thigh. So he took these like metal rods, these like metal pokers, would heat them up and would burn her on the inside of her thigh for assuming his gratification um, or some sort of like way to mark her. And presumably she was also the victim of sexual abuse as well. And we also get uh, a scene of the old man in the wheelchair playing the piano at the abandoned ballet school and having her having his final meeting with Asami who uses piano wire to chop off his head. And I think piano wire is possibly one of the worst ways to go because... <laughs> did you not enjoy that? I didn't. I, enjoy, I thought it was very satisfying that one. Well... Oh no! It's and it's also the he fact, deserved it. Oh yeah, he yeah he deserved it. But I still think it's a terrible way to go. Oh, I really like, enjoyed it. it. Oh, well, you know, I, who, I, I I really liked that kill. You know, I who, thought it was like <laughs> the satisfying soaring oh, back. Oh, so and, satisfying. Well, yeah, just get every ounce of anger out. This is your ASMR, isn't it? <laughs> 
piano wire on flesh as your ASMR. But yeah, but I'll tell you who else is enjoying it. Asami is also really enjoying it as well. She the like, not just this instance of piano wire, but the one later on where she is like clearly enjoying it. I didn't enjoy that one as much. Or well, she she but, was. She was, but yeah. the the head one I definitely mm. <laughs> was like, yeah, you get him, girl. Yeah, but we also have these uh, as um, Aoyama's going through these. Um, like side effects of the drug he starts hallucinating or possibly flashing back to um, receiving oral sex from one of his co-workers this woman who at the beginning of the film says oh, I'm going to get married and he says oh congratulations and it turns out that those two had a little bit of a fling well you could see that because she wanted him to be upset that she's getting married see, I, he, he was indifferent I, I completely had no idea what that first scene was about until these weird hallucinations started happening so uh who knows maybe ayama might not have been a very faithful husband or maybe this is something that happened after his wife's death who knows so we find out that asami is taking revenge on ayama because a he had a wife before and also he loves his son and he pledged that he was only going to love her and that night where they had sex at the resort it turns out that on that night he proposed to her and she said yes so this stuff gets a little bit freaky and there's also like a dream sequence when he's back at the first date at the restaurant with asami and sees his late wife there saying no she's no good for you get away from her so he wakes up paralyzed but with his nerves still intact and asami what I love about this scene is how very clinical and slow Asami takes it, where she, uh, she's got a little kit, she's got her own little uniform as well with like the leather gloves and <laughs> yeah. the belts on top you know, of belts. Get blood on you. No, exactly. Yeah, what well, hygienic? She's even got a little blanket down as well, and she she rolls uh, the paralyzed um, Ariyama on his back, puts the blanket down, rolls him back along again, and what he and what she does is firstly injects the paralyzing like this sort of paralyzing agent into his tongue which is not very nice and proceeds to use um, acupuncture needles and put mm. several of them into his stomach and the probably the most iconic line of the film is when asami is kind of straddling on top of the paralyzed ayama putting these needles in him and going kiri 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 which is which means deeper like deeper 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 it sounds uh, like um kitty <laughs> it does a little bit but that was apparently not scripted what you had was he had um Ehishina, uh just sort of like muttering it under her breath during some of the takes and um and Mike thought actually that's really good like, it is really good like do it a bit more and like say it louder during the takes and we'll use that so it was an unscripted thing it was a bit of a flourish by uh by Sheena which kind of makes the scene as well it does yeah like this sort of like um like she's enjoying it but it's like a sort of like an infantile like approach as well it's really creepy Uh, 
Um, and she also acupunctures just underneath Aoyama's eyes as well. And I know you're the makeup person, but this... You were squirming so oh, much at yeah, at the... Because I thought it was going in his eyes at first. <laughs> so that was because the way it shot, I thought that was happening. But I know you're the makeup expert, but how they did this, they had like a false mask underneath his eyes, which is what she would stab into. Uh, but it looked very convincing and it was very... It did actually, yeah. yeah. And while he's got all the acupuncture needles on his stomach because um, she's torn off his clothes. Or she's, like, used surgical scissors to cut off his uh, his jumper and clothes and stuff. And she straddles his stomach, like, oh, while, while the needles <laughs> are still there. Watching you squirm, watching I, these scenes was... was... Mwah, is, it I've, was like a chef's kiss. I think I've, I've watched the Final Destination films, and there's one scene in it. I don't even think it's how the character dies, but he goes to, like, a, a, like a therapy place. I thought it was a woman. Place. Someone goes to a therapy place and, and they has... they get acupuncture, don't they? Yes, and like a candle in the room falls over and sets the room on fire. So they fall off the table and land on the needles. needles and yeah. even that wasn't as cringy and wince-inducing as, as this scene. And then the piano wire comes out. But oh, the... <laughs> But the dog, she's she's also killed the dog. Oh yeah, that which, was the that's unforgivable. Yeah, too far, too far. Asami. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I mean, I'm okay with like gendered revenge, but I draw the line at animal cruelty. Yes. Hundred percent. So yeah, so she gets out the piano wire, and starts cutting through his leg, uh, well no, his his ankle specifically to remove the foot. We've forgotten about the scene beforehand when he finds out what's in the bag. That's the scene that... Is it the scene where the person starts the, eating? The guy comes, yes. That's, right. that's the scene that I don't like. So before we elaborate on the piano wire, because we've completely skipped a scene. That was my fault. So, so um, Ayama goes to Asami's house and finds... Uh, the that there's someone in the sack that there's somebody in in the in the bag that she's been keeping in in the building, and out crawls a man who is missing one ear, he's missing his tongue, and he is missing three fingers on one of his hands and his feet and and his feet yes, and he's just crawling around. He's in basically just underwear and he's not eaten for for a long time. And this is the bit that creeps, that really gets under your skin. Mm. We see Asami in the background, just like in shadows, just barely in the frame, throw up into a dog bowl. Oh God, I can't. And, yeah. and, feed, the, and feed the contents to the man in the bag who joyously Stop. gobbles it up. Um, and, and the bit of trivia, which could be a game of telephone basically, or could be a, dram a dramatic flourish, is that the uh, when they filmed um, Ehishina throwing up in the bowl, she actually threw up in the bowl. And I don't think the guy actually drank from the actual bowl, but there's a lot of rumours and speculation about that. I think it could be people misinterpreting or a translation error, but what's certain, apparently, is that the vomit... That she throws up is real, whether or not the guy in the bag. No, I can't, nope. I can't talk about it. Okay, so yeah, that happens. That's, but that's the scene that makes me feel funny. And the creepy shot of um, the guy with just the thumb and the finger on his hand, sort of doing like a come here gesture as that well. That doesn't bother me. That creeps it, me it out. It was the, it's the, it's him, eat, uh. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and it's it's, it's <laughs> oh, like the, it's the enthusiasm in which he does it as well which is which is like that's human centipede level of, uh, of grossness <laughs> Okay, so yeah, that that happens. So yeah, we need to um, we need to uh, establish that basically. Um, so yeah, let's go back to your. The, this is the violence you can tolerate. This is the horror you can tolerate. A man yeah, I getting can't tolerate someone eating sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's the guy uh, the guy who gets his um, um, Ayama gets his foot cleanly severed by piano wire and asami is relishing it like she's like she's smiling and really putting her back into it as she pulls the wire back and forth and once the foot's removed she just looks at it and just tosses it to one side and it hits the glass window and leaves like a little blood print but isn't Um, it because she had an accident and couldn't do ballet anymore i just think was it to do with her feet i don't was it to do the knee i don't think Mm. she I don't even think that is the reason or she does it. maybe it's because she wants them completely dependable on her. Or maybe she just really... And they can't escape, can she, they then? And also she just really enjoys her job. We don't actually... <laughs> we don't actually know from what I can tell. I've just given you the reason. No, no. Why. But who's the guy in the bag? It was like the It's probably the bar somebody owner. else she was trying to date. Yeah. yeah. So, this, so this woman just decides to do this. Like we don't... We feel like... I feel like there's like a whole audition prequel film that well, we don't know about. It's probably guy she's tried to date. She said, you know, give me a role, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then she's found out that they haven't. And so she just makes them completely dependable on her. Yeah. It's... By taking away their feet, their tongues, some fingers. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's at her mercy there. Yeah. She literally feeds him by throwing up in a bowl yeah to, well to be fair that's how birds like feed their kids yeah but we don't <laughs> okay um anyway <laughs> so we've got um ayama who's got uh one foot in the grave basically we should say however his son comes home uh his friend was ill or something so he's just come home early and is able to fend off uh, Asami, who seems to like have something in a spray bottle, maybe mace or some acid or something. I have no idea. She's spraying, Chloroform or something. Yeah, spraying something at him. So he runs up the stairs. She pursues him and he manages to give her a big old kick. She f- flings through the air, falls down the stairs, breaks her neck. And she, as she's laid on the floor, as um, as his son is ringing the police and for an ambulance to, to tend to his dad... She um, is staring at Aoyama. Uh, they're both just laid on the floor. They're staring at each other. And he st- and she starts um, reciting lines from like one of their first dates, saying how much how like she wasn't expecting his phone call, how happy she was to see him. She just glares at him from like she's basically just immobile on the floor with a bone sticking out of like from under her skin because she's broken her neck on the way down the stairs. And that's audition. <laughs> And that's how it ends. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's all. I like the ending though. I like that it doesn't really get resolved properly. Yeah. How it's like. Yeah. She's not not going to be walking again anytime soon. He's got. He's going to be hobbling around for a little bit. The son's probably traumatized. There's the dog's dead, which is a bit sad. Um. And yeah. And the guy in the bag will hopefully get a good meal for the first time in his life. Oh God! Please, so, can we stop talking about me the meal thing? Mm. I just keep. It keeps flashing back in my mind. I can't deal with it. Do you know the bit I I hate most about that scene? It's like 
It's like yellow milk. Oh, stop it! <laughs>so that's that's audition that's audition so the film was originally just going to be released and considered to be like a niche horror film like omega project didn't really have high expectations for it they thought it would just be like a a a bit of a shocking niche horror film and it was at first however when it got its screenings at the rotterdam international film festival and of course, it captured headlines with it having the most walkouts of any film at that festival. Well, yeah, because we haven't quite hit the torture porn era yet. No. Th- when this comes out. This is several years before that, yeah. And we had someone who like, reportedly fainted at the screening and stuff. Oh, that's the sign of a good film. Exactly. If ambulances aren't outside your horror <laughs> film, then all have you even made a horror film? So, and... The film managed to get um, a big following outside of its native Japan. It was actually like primarily in America where it got a lot of attention from filmmakers such as Quentin Tarantino, who like thinks the film's a masterpiece. Rob- well, yeah, he's got fucking foot fetish, hasn't he? <laughs> this is his worst nightmare. He watches that, that scene of the guy losing his foot and is like, no, this is my limit. This is me. Um, Rob Zombie said that he found it to be the most creepy and unsettling horror film he's ever watched. Um, Eli Roth as well where really loved the film so much so that in his Hostel films, which would come out a couple of years later, he actually cast Takashi Nimike in a small like walk-on role. He's got like a little cameo in one of the Hostel films. So that's the kind of the like the short-term impact of Audition. You know, makes its way stateside with these big headlines. And it influences people like James Wan to do films like Saw, you know, the severed foot in Saw, of course. Like, I don't think it's a coincidence. You've got Eli Roth with the Hostel films. It was kind of the start of the torture porn, like, subgenre, at least in America. I can't claim to see what its, like, impact was elsewhere. But that sort of shock value inspired an entire subgenre abroad. And that was the immediate impact of audition there was also some stories uh, you've got one that mark kermode recounts where when the film opened in the uk the film critic for the evening standard alexander walker uh, wanted to get the metropolitan police to investigate the makings of the film because he was so shocked by what he thought he'd seen now i've googled this claim that mark kermode makes and mark kermode is literally the only person to have ever mentioned this story like you google alexander walker in this film you can't even find his review online <laughs> but you know i don't think that um you know evening standard reviews from the year 2000 or 2001 are, are something that's really going to be thoroughly archived but it's a fun story uh, you've got a story as well where uh, he lent a, an aud- he, he lent a dvd of audition to ken russell and halfway through the film he wanted to throw it out of the window because he brought something uh, very terrible and frightful into his home <laughs> So I don't think the film is quite that bad. Like I didn't want to burn the like the streaming service we were watching it on. No, it's definitely hyperbole there. <laughs> yeah, but the, like this. But is... it did make you squirm, oh, and I've I... never seen you squirm like that before. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, but this is the late nineties, early two thousands before audiences has been acclimatized to such levels of. Yeah, it'd have been shocking. Yeah, and it's also like I said, not just the gore. It's how the film sort of leads you along with this false sense of security and this sort of offbeat tone 
for a good hour before starting to show its hand. And I think that the journey is what makes the destination so much more worth it. It's such as Miley Cyrus would say, you know, it's it's the climb. It's it's not about, you know, it's not about how fast I get there. It's not about what's waiting on the other side. It's the climb. And I think that's what we can all take away from audition. <laughs> and yeah, that's kind of it. That's 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 it. Um, Takashi Miike is still making films to this day. Like I said, last year he celebrated his 100th film, The Bloody Boss. And yeah, uh, it gets frequent re-releases. We watched on Shudder. Like there was an Arrow video release a few years ago as well in like 2K on 35mm print, etc. And yeah, and I don't think any like top 100 shocking films list is complete without it really. No, it is a shocker. Mm, yeah. well, I mean, it depends if you get shocked at things or not. I mean, I, I'm not a very expressive person, I don't think. No. I don't get, I don't get that shocked easily. I mean, look at Don't Breathe. That didn't bother me at all. Yeah, that's the same. I was expect. So, dog bowls are your limit, but turkey dog, bastes. Yeah. Turkey bastes aren't. Yeah, okay. yeah. Dog bowls with sick is my limit. Okay. So what we're going to do now, we talked about audition. We've still got a few films left on our wheel. So let's give this thing a spin and find out what we're going to be talking about next Monday or the Monday after. We'll see how we go for work. <laughs> oh, This is another film you put on. I don't know this one. Yes, what are we watching? Because I don't know this. We are going to watch... The uh, French horror film Martyrs. <laughs> okay, I don't know anything about this. God, he's going to be in for a shock, oh, isn't he? I just <laughs> finished watching Audition. <laughs> Blimey, I feel like I'm in my own little horror torture porn uh... franchise now. Okay, so next week we're going to be talking about Martyrs. I know nothing, I see nothing, I feel nothing. Until Um, you've seen it. Until I see matters. Okay, folks. In the meanwhile, you can follow us on our social media pages. Yaz, where can people follow us online? Twitter at Monster Mom Pod, Instagram, Monster Monday Pod, and Facebook is the same as the Instagram. Uh, Folks, thank you so much for listening to the Monster Monday podcast. My name is Will. My name is Yaz. And we'll see you next week for Martyrs. You know, after after audition, we're going to be watching Martyrs. Yaz just likes to take that little needle (laughs) and likes to just go, Kiwi, 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 kiwi. Yeah. (laughs) Bye. Bye.